Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 42 of Greens with Envy. 42, of course, the answer to every question in the universe. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of Golf Course Industry Magazine, joined, as always, by my friend and colleague, Editor-in-Chief Guy Cipriano. Before we really dive in, we do have a couple quick housekeeping notes because this is the first episode of Greens with Envy in a while. Since last we talked on this podcast, we're on TikTok. A lot of people are on TikTok. We're on TikTok. Make sure you film your video vertically. You can find us on TikTok at Golf Course Industry. Just spell it all out. G-O-L-F-C-O-U-R-S-E-I-N-D-U-S-T-R-Y. It's fun. It's random. I don't know exactly what we're doing on TikTok, but we're there. We're having a little bit of fun with it. And we'll keep having fun with it. There's a guy. I knew he was in here somewhere. Our September issue is online now. Our October issue will be online this week. It'll be in your inbox at some point, your physical, actual mailbox, at some point when it comes out from the printer. It is our biggest issue in page count in three years. 76 pages. A lot of great stories in there. It was it was a lot to edit and put together and tag search engine optimization and keywords and all the back-end stuff that readers don't care about. It, it, was, it was a big issue, Guy. We're fortunate. Just like a lot of your courses and businesses that serve the golf industry and golfers, we're also surging. We've had a good run here the last two years. And when you have a good run, you, you have a little bit more resources and you can do some cooler things. And when a lot of magazines are either cutting down the physical size of the magazine or cutting months out of the magazine altogether, we've had some bigger issues this yeah. year, and that's a great thing to have and allows us to produce even more awesome, informative content for our terrific readers. Yep. Next year, I'm going to call it now a 240-page issue, somewhere in the midst. Maybe not 240. Also, Greens with Envy, one of just a handful of podcasts that we put out every single month, Greens with Envy, goes into some of the courses and places we visited, some of the people we've talked with, and there's a lot to catch up with since our last episode. We also have Tartan Talks, where Guy talks with members of the ASGCA, Off the Course, where I talk with turf pros about literally anything other than their job. There's Beyond the Page, where we dive a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in the magazine. We have monthly series by a few great contributors, uh, Real Turf Techs with Trent Manning, where he talks with other equipment managers and equipment technicians. There's Wonderful Women of Golf, hosted by Rick Wolfel. You're on episode, I think, 14 of Disease Discussion now. There's all sorts of podcasts. So Three years running now with BSF as our sponsor, and this year uh, we've switched it up a bit and had, had some great episodes with uh, superintendents, and now we're bringing on some of the BS, BASF reps with the superintendents, and they've been really fun episodes to produce and listen to. I'm talking with... Industry experts from Corteva on our Talking Turfweed series. There's no shortage of podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. Also, no shortage of news in our Fast and Firm email newsletter that goes out every Tuesday to your email inbox. Always something new in there. And if you miss the website or social media, great way to catch up on all the news of the past week, I think. So one last note before we get into the meat of Greens with Envy 42. We have added some folks to our team in recent months. Uh, we have a second salesperson, Jimmy Clark, 
who is probably the best golfer in the building, a college golfer who is still, does he even have a handicap? Is he like a one? Is he, is he par? He's, he's scratch golfer. He's really good. Uh, and our summer, don't call her an intern, our summer editorial assistant, Cassidy Gladio, back in college, senior year, and for some reason she wants to keep writing for us. So Cassidy Gladio, no longer an editorial assistant, now an official contributor to Golf Course Industry Magazine. Pretty exciting. The Golf Course Industry Youth Movement is on, bringing in some young talent that has different perspectives and new ideas and can show us how to use TikTok. Right. The Cleveland Guardians, youngest team in baseball, they're in the playoffs. And uh, Golf Course Industry Magazine, apparently the youngest magazine in, in the market. So I don't know. So this is our first Greens with Envy in, I don't remember how many days it is, but it's four months and four days. We didn't plan to take the summer off, but we had a bunch of travel. We were never really in the building at the same time. I don't know how many courses you and I visited in total together, Guy. I was well over 20. I'm sure you were over 20 as well. I mean, just dozens and dozens and dozens of courses. And we'll highlight a handful. My goodness, what a summer and and uh, good to be back on this podcast. A little more freewheeling, a little more conversational than all of our other stuff and probably a little easier to plan because we aren't always trying to track down a guest. It's just you and me. Yeah, our last episode was uh, June 7th and we're recording this on October 12th. And I bet there maybe have been 25 to 35 days, Matt, where you and I have been in the building at the same time. That's and, ge- generous. And Matt and I don't work remotely. We no. we come in when we're in town. So let's dive in. You wanted to have each of us pick three courses that we saw over the course of the summer that we can talk about. I guess I'll go first, but I cheated a little bit. I didn't, I didn't pick one course at the start. I picked five. Matt, this is more about one person mm-hmm. than any individual golf courses. Tell us about the determined, motivated, talented, versatile, crazy gentleman you met in Iowa. Scott Rolfson is the superintendent at five different Iowa golf courses. And Iowa has, I believe it's 246 nine-hole courses, more than any other state in the country. A lot of that dates back to the 1960s golf boom in the Hawkeye State, where the state basically came out and said to all these small cities and communities, we will fund, we will give you funds, we will give you money to build either a golf course or a swimming pool. And a lot of a lot of places, a lot of cities and towns picked the nine hole golf course. They took about uh I think it was a eighty acres would have been a quarter of a what is it? It's a, a half of a quarter section of farmland. And so all these eighty acre plots of nine hole golf courses. Well Scott somehow wound up over time running Maple Hills Country Club in Tripola, Iowa, Willow Run Country Club in Denver, Iowa, Jessup Golf and Country Club in Jessup, Iowa, Vinton Country Club in Vinton, Iowa, Dysert Golf Club in Dysert, Iowa. He's based out of Cedar Falls. If that's not enough, he actually helps his wife run her coffee shop, and he used to be in a rock band. I mean, the man the man has a motor, and, and I would have loved to have met him in his 20s because he's about my age now, uh, late 30s, early 40s, and I don't know how he goes that hard still. It's, it's amazing. I met him at, I think, 5.30. At, we met at 5.30 at Maple Hills. The dew is still out. There's still a mist over the, the corn, uh, the fields in the summer. 
and he's he's already out there. He's already working. He's already getting going. I don't know what time he got up. He drives a Nissan Sentra, not a not a pickup truck or anything bigger, because he doesn't have to take equipment from one course to the other. Each course has its own equipment. Each course has its own staff because each of the courses is run by a different board. Uh, all of its ownership is different. There's no overlap. There's really no equipment or no people who work at more than one course. So he never has to take anything really other than maybe a bucket occasionally or, or maybe some product. So there's no need for a big pickup truck and he's driving some days well over a hundred miles where you're going to get much better mileage in a Nissan Sentra than you are in uh, any sort of pickup truck. So he does it from an economical perspective and it's uh, he's just a, a breath of different air and I love to spend an a day with him. I wish I could have spent more time with him. Completely loaded question, but did yeah. he say what golf course he likes the best of the five? Uh, he said which one is in best shape. I will not say that over the air, uh, but I will say of the three courses that I saw, they were all in excellent shape, and he cut every single cup uh, on those three courses over an eight-hour stretch that I spent with him. That is, oddly enough, his favorite favorite thing to do on a course is cut cups, and he's really, really good and really fast at it. Did you see any swimming pools in those towns, community swimming pools, or did they all go golf course and no swimming pool? You know, it's funny. Some over time added a clubhouse, and the clubhouse wound up with a swimming pool. And so there's there are a lot of Iowa towns that added a course first and then wound up with a swimming pool anyway later uh, because they had a course, no clubhouse, added a clubhouse. What good is a clubhouse without a pool? So there are quite a few with both, Yes. I'm going to talk about a small town course I visited later in this podcast. And every time I go to these courses in smaller towns and I see the clubhouse, if they have one of any substantial size, I think about the history of the town and the decisions that have probably been made that have shaped the history of that town in the clubhouse at Mm -hmm. at the golf course. That's interesting, especially because clubhouses are – they're chamber of commerce places. They're, they they, they, they where really people are. go to gather. They're yeah. where they have meetings. It's where weddings happen. It's where there's banquets. It's where there's charity golf outings. They they mean so much to these respective communities beyond the, the game that offers tremendous physical and mental well-being aspects that's played there. I caught that you said weddings, by the way. You still have weddings on the brain probably because our October cover is all about why – turf pros should embrace weddings at their facilities. Yeah, you're going to have to read the story for that one. But it's uh, <laughs> it's going to be fascinating to hear what type of reception. Get it, Matt? Oh, we hear on my. that cover. He walked right into that one. A couple other notes on Scott Rolfson. And I, I do want to give a, a public shout-out. Um, Matt Pauli of Standard Golf, who is also – around the Cedar Falls, Iowa area, when I was planning my road trip and I was unsure where I was going to go in Iowa, I was trying to hit at least a different nine-hole course in every state. Matt reached out, said, if you don't have plans in Iowa, you should reach out to Scott Rolfson. He's a friend, um, and and I know they've had a, they've had a pretty close relationship for, for a number of years. And just wanted to publicly thank Matt Pauli for uh, – pointing me in in a very good direction for a really, really fun story. A couple other notes about Scott Rolfson. The man does absolutely everything 
and somehow runs more than 2% of all the nine-hole <laughs> golf courses in the state of Iowa. I cannot imagine. Maybe maybe there's, I don't know, somebody who runs like two or three courses in, in Vermont or New Hampshire or something, maybe, who would run a higher percentage of courses in a state. But I can't imagine that there's one single superintendent or director, et cetera, et cetera, who's in charge of the maintenance at more than 2% of their course, uh, their states, either nine or 18 whole courses. It, it seems ridiculous. Yeah. What a fabulous story you told. So glad that Matt recommended to Matt mm-hmm. to visit Scott. Imagine if his name was Matt, how confused we'd be right that now. That would be, we'd have to go Matt M, Matt L, Matt R, Matt P, all that. And it's one of those stories that you just don't hear a lot about, you know, somebody that involved in that many different golf courses, finding a way to make it work and finding a way to make the golf a better game to for thousands of Iowans who really live in places where there aren't a ton of recreational options or opportunities. Those courses are so important and it's awesome to hear there are people like Scott that help keep them going. Yep. Hope to have a chance to see him again at some point, either in Iowa or at a show. Although I just, I don't know if he ever, if he ever gets away, I did ask him if he can maintain any more than five courses, and and he says everyone always asks me, "Well, would you do more?" And yeah, probably. I do want to leave you with one bit of trivia because I love little bits of trivia. Uh, do you remember? We put this in the September issue. Do you remember how many states still have more nine-hole courses than eighteen-hole courses? I'm the one that typed this mm-hmm. into the September issue. It feels like so much has happened. Since then, right. we've done so much. I want to say it's somewhere around a half dozen. Yeah, it's seven. So there's Iowa. Do you remember? See, that's why I said around, around. a half yeah. dozen. Yeah. So, okay, margin and error when yeah. you say around. Plus or minus. Two. So, so Iowa, I, I, Iowa. I got it right. Iowa is one. <laughs> Do you remember the other six? North Dakota. North Dakota. Nebraska. Nebraska. Alaska. Alaska. South Dakota. South Dakota. Four for four so far. Can you go? You have Alaska. I said Iowa. You have Nebraska, North Dakota, South Dakota. Maine. Maine. And the other one is Kansas. Kansas. And there were actually more nine-holers nationally than 18-holers into the 1970s. I didn't realize it was that late. That's pretty cool. Speaking of Kansas, has there ever been a year where the Kansas State-Kansas football game is going to mean more than this year? Mm, didn't Kansas have like a 10-2 and two year? It was an Orange Bowl year. Mark Mangino was coach. Mark Mangino. I'm not sure how good Kansas State was then. I could picture him. I couldn't think of his name, Mark Mangino. There we go. So that is the first of my three, the first of your three. You you hit a bunch more after I came back from my Summer Nines road trip through, I don't remember, 16 states, 18 courses. It was ridiculous, 4,000 miles. Uh, I'll focus on those. You started out at Somerset Hills Country Club. And you have a lot of bullet points here. Tell me about Somerset Hills Country Club. Talk about a total contrast from nine whole courses in small Iowa towns. Well, I spent a week in July in central and parts of northern New Jersey visiting some of the clubs for various stories there. And on the last day, I don't even describe this, I had the honor, treat, delight to visit Somerset Hills Country Club. 
I didn't even notice this, Matt, until preparing for this podcast. And yes, we actually do prepare for mm-hmm. Greens with Envy. I know pages, there's skeptic, pages skeptics out there. On the back of the Somerset Hills Country Club scorecard, it says, your position on the course is immediately behind the group in front of you, not immediately in front of the group behind you. So if you take nothing away from this podcast, it's that remember and be cognizant of pace of play that on is the golf course. Such interesting wording. Read that one more time. That's really your, that's that's a head scratch. This is almost. from the back of the Somerset Hills yeah. scorecard, which they fit a couple hundred words on the back of the yeah. scorecard, and it, it's, it's a little nice. scorecard. It's, it's, nice. it's pocket size. You don't yeah. even have to fold it up to get it in the back pocket. Please remember. Your position on the course is immediately behind the group in front of you, not immediately in front of the group behind you. Huh. So it's don't be that person that's playing slow. That's the translation to that. Yeah. Huh. I like that. Anyway, the New Jersey side of the Met, and for those that aren't familiar with the Met, it encompasses the New York City metropolitan area, which it goes into southern Connecticut and into northern and central New Jersey. And, of course, you got uh, Long Island and the immediate New York City area and Westchester County. So hundreds of awesome golf courses and you know hundreds of private clubs in that area. So I, like I said, I spent a week visiting some of the clubs on the New Jersey side for various stories. And on the final day, I went to Somerset Hills. It it's been a place that I've always wanted to visit it. I've seen the, the pictures. I've looked at it on Google Earth. I've done a little research on it. I've talked to people about it. And it's in this – here's something people don't understand about New Jersey and New Jersey golf in particular in central and northern New Jersey. You think that central and northern New Jersey is really densely populated, and it is in spots, especially when you're really close to New York City. It is, I believe, the most densely populated state in the United States, New Jersey. I think I've read that, yeah. But you get outside of that and you get into the more, I don't know what the word is, suburban countryside type areas. You've got these just wonderful rolling hills and scenic woods and you even see some farms and even some of these little suburban towns as you're, you're driving around and you know you get off the interstate and there's not as much traffic. It's a lot more laid back. Once you get off the interstate, it feels like a country drive in parts mm-hmm. of central and northern New Jersey. And you know, Somerset Hills had me before the start. You pass through this town called Bernardsville. It's got rolling land, like I said, guarded, you know, by small stone walls. And the the, the town has bed and breakfast, yoga studios, coffee shops, you know, high end dining, diners, you know, just just a really cool town to walk around. And you get to the course, and A.W. Tillinghast designed it, opened in 1917, and you really feel like you're you're back in time. You know, the maintenance facility, which were, is where I report it, is an old barn. And along the – how cool is this? Along the first hole, there are apple trees. And members during season pick their own apples as they walk down the first fairway. And, and when they walk up the, the ninth fairway – and then along the ninth hole, there are some maple syrup trees. In fact, we brought back a, a, yeah. a sweet treat that was given to us by the Somerset 
Hills turf team. It's and a beautiful sp- bottle, by the way. It almost looks yeah. like uh, it almost looks like a balsamic vinegar bottle. Uh, Ryan Tuxhorn's the superintendent, and this is kind of what made this cool. Ryan was the one that I booked the visit through, but after we booked the visit, he realized he wasn't going to be there that day. He was on a, a needed vacation. Good for him. He was so accommodating, though. And put me in touch with Stephen Stewart, the senior assistant superintendent. And Stephen is 28 years old. He's been at Somerset Hills, I believe, for around four or five years now. And he is one of those people that just has it. You can tell that he's going to be a golf course superintendent at almost any club he wants one day. Very enthusiastic. Um, you know, as much as I missed meeting Ryan and spending time with him, for us, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, it, there's so many talented young people in the industry, and it's great to spend time with one of them. And Steven and I went around the golf course. We also spent some time with um, assistant superintendent, Nate Frick, who is uh, a few years out of Delaware Valley. So he's another riser in the industry. And we could talk for hours about the quality of golf course at Somerset Hills. But the thing that impressed me most was the team, the, the golf course maintenance team. And they just have this relaxed vibe and the, this way of getting things done that just seems so simplistic for a high-level private club. I mean, one thing I noticed with Stephen and Nate were wearing Crocs, and that's a, that's a thing. You know, Crocs are probably good to wear when it's ninety degrees out when I went there, and you're hand watering, yeah. and it's humid, and you know, your water's flying all over the place when you hand water. Yeah. I thought well, that was really cool. You know, as long as you're not doing a project where there's a safety issue, if you're just doing general maintenance and hand watering, yeah. why why not let your employees? There is a difference between working golf course maintenance and working in an office. But I will say I wear Hoka one, one recovery slides and I wear them every day. And it's, it's a, a heel issue. Mm-hmm. I've got a weird little genetic thing in my heels and it's a comfort thing. Yeah. I totally, totally understand anybody who wants to wear cracks. I'm, I'm to the point in my life where I do not wear shoes for fashion purposes. Mm-hmm. I know plenty of people who do. I just, I'm yep. 38. I have a six year old. I really don't care. Give me the most comfortable shoe. You ask on Twitter how many people wore Crocs out on the course. It was a bit of a contentious issue. It really was. A lot more than you would expect, but the people that don't uh, do it or don't permit their employees to do it have Mm -hmm. strong reasons why. And it's like a lot of things in golf course maintenance. There's really no right or wrong way or a way that's done by the book. You have to do what's best for your work environment and culture. And mm-hmm. in Somerset Hills, it's it's that type of work culture. And I totally understand anybody who is 100% on board, you know, steel-toed boots every day, safety issue. But people who feel like they can wear Crocs for certain things, go for it. You know, it, it's a comfort issue. If you're going to be on your feet for 8, 10, 12 hours a day, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're push mowing, uh, if you're hand watering, you know, if you're, if you're not riding really doing anything where you're not riding a piece of equipment for four or six hours, wear the most comfortable shoes. And this is one of the few courses, Matt, that I've visited in the last three or four years that does not have a labor issue. Wow. So we talk about culture and employers are choice and great places to work and be involved with. This, this is one of those places, Ryan, you can tell sets, of ter- even though I didn't get to meet them, you could tell it the way Steven and Nate were talking about them and the way the crew was uh, tackling things that morning, that this is a place that, that totally respects the, the superintendent and the superintendent's given good resources and respect from the club. I mean, it's really a happy, idyllic type place. I found the crew really fascinating. Um, so there are two, 
there, there's a superintendent, two assistants, an equipment manager, a tennis grounds manager, three full-time employees, hmm. and then 24 part-time and seasonal employees. That's a big crew. Well, there aren't as many full-time positions no, as you but, would expect for a club of that level. But to be able to that fill level. 24 seasonal positions when you're letting those people go for probably six months at a time and they come back yeah. – and you don't have a labor issue, that's impressive. A lot of students, a lot of yeah. college students, a lot of flexibility in work schedules compared to maybe some other places that are out there. Yeah. I found this fascinating. So on the crew, some of the colleges represented of the students included Dartmouth, Villanova, Pitt, and Lehigh. Good so academic uh, schools. Yeah, and that makes sense because the area around Somerset Hills is that, that type of area. And people say, well, kids that grow up in those areas don't, want to work that's not necessarily the case all the time no. you have to that's create a culture that they want yeah. to come to and at somerset hills people are bringing their friends along their friends you know move on to other things in life and then they bring another batch of friends along so it's, you get to a point where the, the crew fills itself on referrals if you mm-hmm. have that type of culture and that type of reputation uh also they have some retirees on on the crew i met a gentleman who was very uh successful in the the beer sales industry and there he was, love it on a Friday morning, doing an in-house bunker renovation with one of the assistant superintendents. Amazing. Just in there digging ditches in a bunker. They do most of their projects in-house. Uh, Ryan is a big believer in getting things done a little by little each year in-house with the people that they have. Funny you mentioned that. Our October issue also includes a feature by Ron Furlong about DIY projects and what you can do in-house. So you just keep dropping all these little hints about uh, stories that are in the new issue that's going online this week. Yeah. And then also, I didn't get to meet him, but a gentleman who is a member at Montclair Golf Club, which is one of the courses I visited early in the trip, and he's the Seton Hall women's tennis coach. He works a part-time maintenance job on the Somerset Hills crew just because he loves the golf course and the people there. This is, this is a pretty good course. One of those places... Uh, you know, the golf course itself is fabulous. It's one of the best A.W. Tillinghast designs out there, and that's saying something. Uh, two uh, completely different nines. The front nine is open, and there's some fairway width and not a lot of trees and views of all the other holes. And then the back nine is parkland, wooded, uh, some ponds and some hazards. They're both fabulous nines. Um, just wrote in my notes, a mix of right, left, open, wooded, blind shots, hazards used tastefully, fescue ads, throwback feel, Woods add serenity. Nearly every green has an interesting ridge or contour. I also love the hole names. They've they've got some some great ones. Orchard for one. You mentioned the apple trees. There's Redan. There's Plateau. There's Dip. There's there's hole names that reflect probably the topography of the holes. But then you get into the back nine. Perfection followed immediately by a par three called Despair. And then Happy Valley followed immediately by another par three called Deception. So there's a lot of uh, highs and lows emotionally. Variety. On the back nine. I'm reading a book about golf course architecture right now written by uh, Richard Mandel. And Mm -hmm. there's uh, a whole chapter on variety. So Somerset Hills certainly has that. One of the most interesting golf courses I've visited and one of the most interesting cruise i've had a chance to to meet my travels a really special place and it was 10 or 11 courses that week and they were all 
fabulous, but you know, for for the case of this podcast, we've just had to pick three courses we've seen in the last few months and went with Somerset Hills for my first one. Now on to your second one, Matt. Well, also a special place and also just kind of a it has woods, it has variety, it has not an air of elitism, but an air of I would say privacy and maybe selection. Um, although if you work in the industry and you call them up, I'm sure you can at least get on and, and stroll the grounds with them. And that is Culver Academy's golf course with Michael Vesely, who hard to believe he's been there almost 10 years. So I started my nine hole road trip. It was a big circle starting in Ohio, going along the great lakes up to Minnesota down from Minnesota to essentially Missouri and then finishing in Florida. Um, and then we completed the circle driving Florida to Ohio. So Indiana was fairly early. It was the first full day of the road trip. And it was a Saturday. And Michael has four children. He had things that he needed to do, events he needed to be at, because he's a dad, totally get it. But he was going to be on the course for a few hours in the morning, I said, I can be there as early as you need me to be. Drove from Ohio, started at uh, Mud Run in Akron the day before, played that course. Drove out to Indiana. Ate a burrito. Slept in my car because I did not have time to get a hotel. And I knew I'd be up early enough and I had to drive on to Michigan anyway. So I'm like, it's only day two. Do you remember what type of burrito did you you had, Matt? Uh, it, was a, it was a chain burrito. Not you know, I'll always buy local burritos if I can. But I had to buy a chain out of necessity here. And I think I got there, I want to say it was 7, maybe it was 7.30, but I should have been there a few minutes earlier. I actually got caught by a train in in one of the little two-lane roads that surround Culver Academy, which I'd never actually visited. Michael's out there. He's mowing. Um, just caught at the perfect time. It was sunrise, the sun is coming over the trees, onto the grass, onto this beautiful Langford Moreau, uh, almost 100-year-old design. And one of the fun details is the course is either going to be 100 in 2023, 2024, or 2026, depending on if you measure when it was finished, when the first round was, or when it was officially, I don't want to say christened, but... There's there's three milestones, so maybe they could have three centennials coming well, up. Well, too bad they didn't have the revenue pressures that uh, some other clubs do. I guess it's <laughs> fortunately they don't have the revenue pressure some other clubs do because they could do three years of centennial celebrations mm-hmm. and imagine the revenue that that would bring in to, to a club. Right. Well, you know, they, they also have a handful of friends and alums who are members at a certain club in Georgia. So between that and the fact that it's a – a private school with a rather hefty base tuition. Uh, you're right; revenue is not their not their biggest challenge. Amazingly, though, uh, the course does not cost a ton of money. It's only nine holes, but it costs a lot less probably than you think. How big do you think Michael's crew is outside of Michael? Three, three, two. It's Michael and two full time crew members, um, Randy Sellers who's been there for more than 30 years, Justin Binkley, who's been there for six years. There's no assistant. 
He does not right now have a regular internship program. There's no seasonal crew members. He'd love to add any or all uh, between now and, you know, 23, 24, 26. Um, if, if folks have been to Culver, uh, it's amazing that that is a three, three full-timers, two outside of Michael Vesley who maintain that course. It's just, it's mind boggling what they're able to do. Is that your first time in a Lankford and Moreau course? I believe so. Yes. I had the pleasure of playing well, Sonia Links in Wisconsin this summer, which is you know one of those fifty or so courses you or I have visited since we uh, recorded our last screens with Envy, and, and a handful in Wisconsin. I and, went to two, and I believe it was the first time I played a Langford and Moreau course. And La Sonia Links is fabulous. What struck you about the routing, the land, the golf features as you were walking around Culver Academies with Michael? So when you pull in, first off, unless you know where you're going or you have it plugged into GPS. I don't have the best sense of direction and I had passed it the night before just to get a feel for the grounds. I'd passed it the night before and drove completely past the entrance gate. It's literally just a sign and then a slight little uh, uphill into the parking lot. So it's very easy to pass. But once you're in the parking lot, you see the golf building uh, off to one side and then the front four, the four front holes. And how they all fit together. And there's a little roll. There's some beautiful bunkers. There's trees behind it. And how the course fits together, but also there's a delineation between the front four and the other five. There's all these cabins off to the side with this massive uh, summer camp that Michael works around um, in June, July, and August as well. And the course is closed during the day during the summer camp, I think the thing that really sticks with me is just how it's nine holes and it's clearly one course, but it feels like different courses at various points. Like those first four and then the second five almost feel like two different experiences. I think that was probably my biggest takeaway. Yeah, certainly one I want to see one day. Uh, Michael is very active on Twitter. He's a past... Uh, super social media award winner here at golf course industry. And that's so cool that you had a chance to squeeze in a, a visit with him uh, so early in your journey. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe we'll get back again next year. And I, ha I have my notes. 1923 is when ground was broken. 1924 is when the course opened and 1926 was its dedication. So maybe you and I will get back for one of those three centennials that are fast approaching. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get you there. I'm sure Michael will, will welcome you, uh, at least for a visit. Speaking of centennials. Yeah. The second course I want to discuss, what year do you think it's first nine holes opened? Highland country club. We're past centennial. So it's going to be before 1922. I will say 1922. There we go. Highland, you're showing me the, the, uh, Highland Country Club, LaGrange, Georgia. You're probably wondering where LaGrange, Georgia is. In my messed up world, it's uh, on the way from Hartsfield International Airport to Auburn University's campus. It's what? That's about a two-hour Central drive? Georgia, an hour outside the Atlanta metro area. Yeah. 
But it's uh, it's about two hours from from uh, the airport to Auburn, right? Well, it depends if you, you're factoring the time change and you're going home, uh, going from Auburn to Atlanta and have a flight to just to catch and just you the drive. not think of the time change. It's just a, just the drive. It's about depending on traffic between an hour and a half and hour and forty five minutes. Okay, and then obviously you you lose an hour. Uh, well, you gain an hour going and you lose an hour coming back as Auburn's on Central Time. Yeah, yeah. That would have helped on my <laughs> way back to Atlanta on this trip. But anyway. For, for, real quick, for anybody uh, taking road trips, don't forget, Georgia Eastern Time, uh, Alabama Central, but also the Florida Panhandle is on Central Time. And, and part of Tennessee's on Central mm-hmm. Time, too. Mm-hmm. And Northwest Indiana. And now that we got that out of the way, so uh, this is a really special golf course in a small southern town that not a lot of people, um, unfortunately, know about because it's outside the Atlanta metro area, right? So, you know, lots of clubs in the Atlanta metro area, lots of them, especially on the north side of Atlanta, not as many on the, on the south side. Uh, but this got uh, arranged through a conversation I had with um, Atlas Turf President John Holmes when I, we were in Georgia in April for a certain event. He said, oh, yeah, you know, the next time that you go to an Auburn game, he knew that I was an Auburn fan, although uh, I don't know if I'm going to be an Auburn fan for much longer given, oh, given the nature of this season. No, anyway, that, that's thin. a story for another podcast. He said, you know, next time you go to an Auburn game, let me know. Uh, you know I'm a member at Highland Country Club. I'd really like you to see the, the golf course. We're proud of what we have in LaGrange. He emailed me six, seven weeks ago and said, hey, when are you going to that Auburn game? I said, well, just booked it, going to the LSU game. He, he, he said, well, great. You know, on that Friday, you can fly to Atlanta, get your clubs, and we'll take a, a whirl around the golf course. Well, John's doing a lot of business in the Middle East. Um, Atlas Turf is a has a lot of turf varieties. It sells all over the world. So it's kind of like the Somerset Hills situation. It turns out John wasn't going to be around on the day that Friday, another Friday, John wasn't going to be around. Uh, so he put me in touch with Superintendent Chris Warwick, who I was going to meet anyway, even if John had been around. Who, by the way, is listed on the reverse of the scorecard, which is always nice to see. Yeah, and we talk, we we keep on hammering this point home. Some of the talented young people that we meet in our travels, uh, Chris is certainly in this category. He just turned thirty last month. <laughs> He has been at Highland Country Club now for a year and a half. He started in May of uh, 2021. Uh, he has worked at some high-level clubs in Georgia and Florida, and this is his first head superintendent job. And it turns out now he found the job. His wife saw a posting for it on Indeed of all places. Wow. For all the times that I have heard turf pros complain about Indeed.com over the last few years – and this was not only a legit job, but a good one, and one spotted by the superintendent's partner. That's amazing. And, and she's a Georgia native. Uh, Chris is from the Memphis, Tennessee area, so she said, "Why don't you? Why don't you go for it?" And Chris uh, went for it, landed it, and uh, he started like a, at a super hectic time. You know, there was a big tournament going on. You know, May in Georgia, you're already in the middle of the golf season. Uh, he's starting to get his program, you know, now that he's in year two, he's starting to get his programs and plans in place. And this is a special golf course that, you know, Donald Ross laid out nine holes for the golf course in 1922. Eight 
of the nine original Ross greens are still where they were when Donald Ross designed the course. The club added nine more holes designed by Joe Finger in the 1970s. So it became an 18-hole course, I believe, in 1972, 1973, sometime mm. around that time frame. Uh, they've kind of reversed and flipped the nines over the years. The current um, version of the golf course, the Joe Finger 1970s holes are the front nine. The Donald Ross holes are the back nine. Mm. And the course just blends together wonderfully. Unless you really knew golf course architecture, or maybe if you were a novice in that, you wouldn't really tell much of the difference until you got to the greens between the Ross holes and the finger holes. Uh, the land on both nines is, you know, Georgia red clay, you know, rolling topography, you know, some beautiful pine trees, all the parts of the course where Chris and everybody else involved with the club would admit that there are probably too many trees right now. The club's never really had a ton of money to do a, a big project. In fact, doesn't even have fairway irrigation. I mean, how often do you hear about you mentioned this private yeah. clubs that don't have fairway fairway irrigation? It's just never had the resources to put that in. Uh, but what a wonderful blend of golf holes! You, know, you go uphill, downhill. You you have some ponds that come into the play in the, uh, on the finger holes, and then you get to the back nine, and you know you, you see these fairways that have contours and, and and slopes and areas where you really have to know where to put the golf ball, especially um, I had a chance to go around it in early October, September is dry in Georgia without fairway irrigation. You can just imagine how dry the and how much run you got on the turf. And I, I thought it was splendid to play. Chris does a fabulous job of uh, producing awesome playing conditions for what he has. And it was so much fun to play the golf course, but you could tell that you would need it to play a few times, especially when it's dry, to know where to hit the ball. You know, he's worked really hard on getting his programs in place, and the club has a wonderful history. So their first golf pro, a guy named Elliot Callaway. Hmm. Is that name familiar to people in the golf industry? Well, the last name, not the first name, but yes, yes, of course. Bobby Jones is uh-huh. was at the golf course on a few occasions, Donald Ross designed the course. It's in this uh, really cool wooded neighborhood with some lakes around it, kind of on the top edge of this really nice small uh, southern town. You know, it's on clay like a lot of golf courses in Georgia. And you call them all day, everyday golf courses, golf courses that you could spend mm -hmm. all day at, play every day and never get sick of them. And this fits that, yeah. that category. And there aren't a heck of a lot of people around either. You know, it's – Small town, right? Like the member, the, it's not like Atlanta where you have millions of people to, as potential members. I think somewhere around 30,000 people live in LaGrange. And honestly, if I lived in Atlanta, I would probably get a membership at Highland Country Club, drive the hour to LaGrange, play a two and a half, three hour round, and get back to my house in Atlanta quicker than it takes to play a lot of the golf well, courses in Atlanta. And knowing you, you'd find a few good podcasts and listen to them. At one and a half speed and knock out three hours of podcasts on the drive there and back, too, to try to double up and benefit. Yeah. Well, and Chris Warwick is just a terrific uh, story. Like I said, got his first head superintendent job before the age of 30. He's in the Army Reserves. Hmm. He served six months in Afghanistan in 2018. So he's Recently. got he's wow. got that leadership quality. He's got the he's got the turf. I asked him, I said, what did what did you do in Afghanistan? And his response was long enough to do everything. So. Hmm. Uh, he's obviously seen some things that a lot of us will never see. He's part of the uh, the local county leadership group through the Chamber of Commerce, and 
he's going to do big things there. He's building his team. You know, he's hoping to get some uh, infrastructure upgrades, you know, approved. You know, the club's working on that. And I'm so glad that I had a chance to visit this golf course. And uh, if I ever go see a Auburn football game again, which is doubtful at this point, oh, the way they're playing, listen to you. you <laughs> I'll be sure to stop off and see Chris. You know, you he's somebody that I think you would expect to see on our pages or here on one of our podcasts one day. And it mm-hmm. was just a, you know, wonderful fall afternoon at Highland Country Club with him. That's awesome. Well, I'm sure, like you said, it's not the last time we'll be hearing about Highland or Chris. Yeah. So, Matt, your 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 third course here that you want to highlight, right? So, little little different climate than. Georgia, especially in the fall and winter. Yeah. So I mentioned this long road trip and I started in Akron. I played Mud Run. Uh, I mentioned Culver, played Iapawa Island Golf Club, which is just over the border in Michigan, uh, Potawatomi in St. Charles, Illinois. I had to stop at Vitens Golfland in Madison. Uh, Snowflake Skiing Golf Club, didn't see it. Uh, anybody out there because the sun was setting, but I had to see this. It was the only golf course, I think, in the country is what it bills itself as, as being at the base of five ski jumps, and it's more famous for its Olympic-level folks who who play there. Um, Berry Hill, which is outside St. Louis. Ruth Park, also outside St. Louis. Victory Lake in Arkansas did wrap up with Winter Park uh, 9 in outside Orlando, But the last course that I want to highlight is a little municipal called Brooklyn Park, uh, Brooklyn Golf Park in Brooklyn, Minnesota. And I knew from the get-go it would be a little different. It used to be an executive par 3-9. And over the last 20 years, uh, John Lindman, who's the manager and the superintendent, has tried to inject different sorts of life into it. it's mostly out of necessity the, the clientele changed a little bit you know used to be uh, a lot more you know you just opened up for the the season and people would flock in now you got to work because there's more activities there's more going on uh so he he changed the course a little bit he tried to expand both rounds and revenue this is right after the great recession he renovated layouts he added tees he added cups he's added foot golf um, you know, all sorts of new concepts. And what really drew me in, it's, it's, it's a really nice nine hole golf course, but what drew me in were two things, the back of the scorecard and then the rules list. I want to go through the rules list first. I included a few of these, uh, in my story, which is in the September issue, but we have the benefit of time. We've got a few extra minutes. So I just want to go through this because it is such a breath of fresh air. These are the rules at Brooklyn Golf Park. To make your visit, first it says welcome. To make your visit the most enjoyable, please follow these simple guidelines. So first off, guidelines, not rules. Love that term. If you are not in the cup after eight shots, just pick up your ball and go to the next tee. Perfect. Why worry about shooting a 15? Please be courteous and pleasant to everyone on the course. But you got to keep your USGA handicap, Matt. If you don't put that 15 down, <laughs> what events are you going to get into yeah. that are reflective of your skill level? Remember the three R's, repair ball marks, replace divots, rake the sand bunkers. And write good stories. That's a W. <laughs> 
Please be aware of golfers behind you. If your group is slower, let them play through. Please respect the golf course and all the other golfers. You can tee up your ball anywhere on the course, throw it out of a sand bunker, and play from different tees. Move it from behind a tree. Choose the closest cup to putt to. Skip a hole to relax if you need to for, for a par. We just want you to make golf fun and enjoy the game. Please play between the tee markers. Each hole should only take nine minutes to play. And clubs and bag, I love this. Clubs and bag are available for free in the pro shop. Wonder where they got the nine minutes from. I don't know. That's an 81 minute round. In the words of our publisher, Dave Zai, love it. It's fantastic. So the, that, those are the guidelines. The back of the scorecard includes basically a personal philosophy. And these, these were all written by John. I know he sort of crowdsourced it over the years. He's added, but, but this is basically he started it. Every word of this is fantastic. Golf is a community. We do not characterize your age, gender, or skill level as a golfer. The only judges we believe in are integrity and the honor of the game. Let your scorecard and your positive attitude do the talking. Golf is a sport. You don't wear a polo and cotton pants to the gym, do you? No collar, no pants, no cleats, no problem. Dress comfortably and swing away. So, t-shirt and shorts, fine. Translation, they will allow you to play in Crocs. Um, I actually saw people playing in Crocs. We play the forward tees without fear of ridicule. Teeing it forward is fun, and it helps the pace of play. If the forward tees are like eating ice cream, the back tees are like doing your taxes. Do you like doing your taxes? We didn't think so. You can supersize almost anything in society. Why not make the golf hole bigger? Oh, that's right. We did. How will you celebrate your next 30-footer? A fist pump? A tip of the cap? You'll figure it out. Please keep clubs in your bag or hands at all times while on the course. Respect your playing partners. Club tossing and profanity are not welcome here. You missed a five-foot putt for par on nine. Who cares? No, seriously, don't sweat it. Golf and stress should not mix. Uh, almost done here. The best part about golf is that nobody's perfect. See somebody you think could use a tip on the putting green or getting out of that bunker on six. Lend a hand or a word of encouragement. Support is a pillar for improvement. And the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is that you have a good time. I love John Lindman. I love him so much. He's a legend. He's great. One other thought uh, that he he came up with, and I'm sure I'm sure other people have tried this, but around Halloween, and, and I don't know, maybe he's planning this already. We're into October, is zombie golf. Guy, have you ever heard about zombie golf? No. Is is that most of the golf that we try to watch on TV? Oh, listen to you. So zombie golf, as John designed it, is each golfer receives a pink ball, and that's representative of brains. And each of the nine holes is patrolled by a pair of zombies. And they'll tilt and they'll lurch and they'll you know, walk slowly at a zombie's pace as soon as you hit your ball. You tee off, they're going to start walking towards your ball. So it's not a race, but you have to get to your ball before the zombie does. If they get the pink ball, they get the brains, and you're done. And whoever has more brain balls at the end of the round, the golfers or the zombies, that group wins. So what does this teach you as a golfer? This teaches you shot placement, and this teaches you pace of play. You can't hit a terrible errant shot, and you can't play really, really slow, or the zombie's going to get the ball. And it seems like such a silly thing, but my gosh, it is 
when you stop and you think about it, zombie golf is almost downright like a genius way to use a holiday like Halloween and pop culture to teach people how to play the game. I really, really loved it. I know this podcast isn't about trying to one-up each other. <laughs> okay. But you went all in with Brooklyn. Yeah. I'm going all in with Buttonhole. All right. So I don't think we we necessarily saved our best for last, but I think maybe we saved some of the, the most uplifting and different stories. You have been talking about Buttonhole since you got back. Let's go. Buttonhole. It's actually in two places. Part of it's in Providence, Rhode Island. Part of it's in Johnston, Rhode Island. Wasn't a very attractive place 25 years ago. Okay. It was an abandoned gravel pit in an area that was surrounded by an expressway, heavy industry, and a neighborhood that had fallen on rough times. So a group led by a local man named Ed Morrow wanted to do something special with the game of golf. This could take a long time to describe the story, but we'll condense it because we're almost an hour into the podcast. Uh, on that 26-acre abandoned gravel pit, they built a nine-hole golf course, par three course with a practice facility, uh, and started a nonprofit, and it's called Buttonhole. And it is done unbelievable things since opening in 2000. I mean, there have been thousands of lives, maybe tens of thousands of lives that have been improved or um, have been saved because of, of this golf course in this location where there's no other accessible golf or very little accessible golf. There is a Donald Ross uh, public course called Treggs only a mile and a half away, but that's not exactly a beginner learn the game type of facility. This is uh, so inspiring. Uh, you know, it, it the mission of the course is buttonhole enriches the lives of young people by providing facilities and programs that develop strong character, teach life values, and champion success through the game of golf. <laughs> so, you know, it's accessible and affordable for everybody. There are you know hundreds of programs that run through there. You know, yes, there is that youth-focused mission, but there are also programs for veterans, disabled golfers, they do programs through the Greater Providence YMCA. They're they're all. I mean, I have the a PowerPoint they gave me, and there's you know dozens of groups that come through here. And you know how it's funded? You've told me, but I want to ask you how is it funded? Well, obviously green green fees, mm -hmm. which are very affordable. Range buckets, which are very affordable. Uh, but a lot of private donations from the local uh, Rhode Island golf community and beyond, and and grant money. And you know, they've been able to keep this going for 22 years. Uh, I had a chance to meet with uh, Superintendent John Rorke and uh, golf professional and director of programming, Shane Drury. Uh, John, until taking the buttonhole job in 2014, was you know spent 90% of his career in private clubs, but um, really bought into the mission and what buttonhole was about. And you know he's absolutely thrived in that role. He's the only full-time maintenance employee. You get some help. They're getting ready to hire a full-time equipment manager. So there'll be two of them too. So that's a yeah. sign that buttonhole is doing well and thriving. And it's, you know, John, every dollar 
he can, I don't want to use the word cut, but any dollar that he can save in maintenance or any efficiency that he can provide, that money and those resources go back into programming. You know, the children that are, um, they're called buttonhole kids, can go and play the course for $1. Uh, there's a cool at the register. So in the pro shop, they've donated clubs, donated balls. All the range balls are donated. The private clubs in Rhode Island have buttonhole buckets and members, you know, when they get done with their rounds, dump a few balls in there and those donations go to buttonhole. They have donated ball marks, um, tees, pencils. And our readers are really like this uh, at the counter. There are like hundreds of uh, donated divot fixers. So that's really <laughs> important. So, Very. you know, all the money they don't have to spend on those things goes towards programming and providing the game of golf to people that maybe wouldn't necessarily have the game of, uh, of golf provided to them because, I mean, it, it is pretty expensive to get going. And I'll tell you what, the golf course and the job that John does is is fabulous. It's a really cool uh, par three golf course. Uh, there's a hole that plays along a river that was uh, completely blighted um, years ago. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the name of the river, uh, but it, it's been cleaned up. Now it's uh, you know, safe for kids and others to, to go in. It's called the – ready? The Wuna Asquatucket River. It looks like – here, let me see real quick. W O O N A S Q U A T U C K E T. And because you're out in New England, I'm going to say Wuna, Wuna Squatucket. That's what I would say. Wuna Squatucket. Well, anyway, they took a huge environmental negative and turned it into a huge environmental positive with the golf course. It's a 26 acre site, so it's not um, huge, but the golf on it is excellent. Uh, John, over the last few years, has added native areas. There's some ponds on the golf course. There's an elevated eighth tee that just has an awesome view of the entire property. And, you know, it's an interesting place to work, John said, because you work at private uh, courses as a superintendent or assistant superintendent, and you see a member out there and you know how far he or she hits the ball. You know, you know what type of skill level they are. You know where the ball could possibly go. You're out at on the course of buttonhole doing maintenance and you have beginners that have never played the game, you really have no idea where the ball is going to go. So you have Neither to have <laughs> tremendous alertness and situational yeah. awareness. In fact, John does all his spraying at 11 PM and midnight, just so that no he's not out there doing it while people are around the course oh. opens at 8 AM. It's a course that Shane jury, the golf pro was telling me it's just had a tremendous spike in play the last two years. Uh, you know, Following the the onset of the COVID nineteen pandemic, uh, more people playing golf. Rhode Island never closed its golf courses. Buttonhole was a place that people started going, and they've kept going to. In fact, it's going so well. I, I said that John's been able to add a a full time equipment manager, and you know they, they say that the uh, the green fee revenue has never been higher in the twenty two year history of the course, and you know, I suspect it'll keep going. And you know, thousands of kids and others are going to play golf there. I saw. Uh, paramobiles, which are for mm. um, yeah. adaptive golfers, golfers with disabilities, and they're really cool. They can actually lift the person up and have them, you know, hit shots and putt standing up. I mean, I've never seen two things like that. Uh, just a really special place that is a golf course for everybody, and 
I, I was inspired going around it. I mean, we get to visit some amazing places and meet some amazing people. And, you know, they, they all contribute something, whether it's, you know, a mental and physical respite for the people that play there or, or a social gathering like a country club or really well-paying jobs for the people that, that meet there. But this really is a golf course that, you know, has a purpose that is a little bit different than a lot of golf courses. So it's 22 years old. It's never done better than it's doing right now, it seems. Um, you, you mentioned kind of plans to bring in more people as revenue increases. What else is potentially in the next year or two for Buttonhole? Is, is, there, is there any sort of maintenance project uh, on the schedule or are they just too busy uh, for that? There could be – there's some things they're trying to get some grant money for to make it um, even more accessible to golfers with disabilities. I mean, already now they did a project in uh, 2013 that was um, funded by the, the Wadsworth Foundation and architect David Johnson was involved that made the course a little bit easier for players with uh, disabilities to get around. There's some things they want to do with the range to make it even more accessible than it is. Uh, you know, their, their infrastructure improvements, the irrigation system. I mean, you got to remember the course was built on budget, right? Like they didn't want to spend too much on the course because that's less money they could go into the programming and, and the mission of the golf course that we read. So there are things that uh, Chris said that have been done the last few years, like the pump house has been improved. There's been drainage at it. Uh, they've gotten their own uh, well uh, as a water source. Or, but, you know, there's some things that can be done with irrigation. Um, the condition of the golf course was, just, I mean, fabulous. And you know, I think it's just incrementally doing things to get better. You know, uh, John Rorke said that he wants to even make things more efficient and streamlined in terms of maintenance if they have a little bit more resources because, you know, the more efficient they make things, like I said before, the more money that can go into programming and, and fulfilling the mission of the course. Yeah. So it's really, if you're ever in New England, I really suggest to go and see it. You'll be inspired. You'll be humbled a bit and you'll be playing um, nine really awesome holes that you can probably play each hole in nine minutes or less. I like that rule, uh, not rule. I like the guideline that John Lindman came up with. I'm going to start applying it to every, I mean, you could apply it to any hole period, but especially nine hole courses, nine minutes or less a hole. We should try to keep this podcast in nine minutes or less. Mm, well, considering we're at 65, that might be, might be tricky now. No, I mean, it's been quite the four months for us at golf course industry since we last sat in our studio and recorded. Uh, we're really lucky to deal with the people that we deal with and cover the subject matter that we cover with and work with the people that we've worked with. And we'll start getting back on a schedule, hopefully with this podcast <laughs> now that we'll hopefully be around the office a bit more. Yeah. Uh, no more 20 some odd days together over a four month period. It's, uh, it's been good. It's been good. It's been nice to see so much of the country, but uh, I'm ready to be a homebody for a little bit, I think. I say that, and then like a week after being a homebody, I get itchy, and uh, I'll be on the road a little bit here, um, especially like pretty much the entire first two and a half weeks of November. Yeah, yeah. Well, no shortage of places to visit and no shortage of courses to talk about here on Greens with Envy. 
Stay tuned for all the rest of the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. Keep a lookout online later this week for our October issue. The September issue is already online. October is done. It'll be online again in just a day or two. Get the Fast and Firm email newsletter. All you have to do is sign up on the homepage, golfcourseindustry.com. Follow us on Twitter, GCI Magazine. He's GCI Magazine Guy. I'm Matt Lowell, M-A-T-T-L-A-W-E-L-L. He's Guy Cipriano. I'm Matt Lowell. As always, thanks so much for listening.